0: Oh, man, almost got taken out before it even started here. (laughs) All right. Um, I'm Alex. I'm one of the elders here at Common Ground. Um, Derek, who you know is usually up here speaking, is, uh, I believe, on his way back from Disneyland with the family right now. So um, I get the privilege of being here before you guys today. Um, So I am... An electrical engineer. This is not my my normal day job here. Um, I'm an electrical engineer. Um, married. This is my wife right here. We got three kids over in the uh, other room here right now. Um, uh, so yeah, that's that's me. Um, and moving on here. So um, in November of 2016, uh, Time mag- magazine ran a cover story titled. Uh, Teen Depression and Anxiety, Why the Kids Are Not All Right. Um, it talked about the rise of rates in depression and anxiety among teens, and they interviewed all these experts on why why are we seeing this today? What, what's the root cause of all of this? And they identified a few different things. Um, one was the pressure that, get, that gets placed on individuals um, by society and also from themselves, the pressure we place on ourselves to, to succeed and do better. Um, Another one was uh, what they termed the hyperconnectedness of our world today, that every single bad thing that happens, we know about it like that. You know, it, We see every single bad thing instantly because of the 24-7 news coverage and social media and all of this stuff. Um, and the last one that they identified was the, the isolation and the self-focus that, that tends to come along or can occur, um, especially with the social media. Um, but really, I mean, you probably didn't need me or this magazine to tell you about that stuff. We all see that every day, and we see how it impacts us. We see how it impacts our friends, our day-to-day life. Um, and in fact, I, I mean, I, I came up with, with the introduction to this message this week because of my own anxieties and worries that I was going through, uh, my own self-focus that was kind of pulling me down. And God just kind of turned to me, turned me one day and said, you know, you're writing this message about this. Why don't you go read that verse for yourself? you know, just, you're so focused on writing this message and making it so perfect. Why don't just read it for you for once? Um, And so um, when we look at these things, oftentimes the world's answer to this is, is to kind of focus on you for a bit. Um, Take some time and just, just really focus on you and you'll get out of that. And, but I knew that couldn't be the answer because That was a part of the reason I was in there. I was focused on myself. I was focused on my anxiety, and I was focused on all these shortcomings that I felt. And so the answer um, was not to focus on me. The the answer was to look to something bigger than me, something outside of me. Um, John Piper says it this way. He said, we are all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase self-esteem. Why do we go? because there is greater healing for the soul in beholding splendor than there is in beholding self. And we're gonna see in these verses today um, the biggest thing that we can behold, the most important thing that we can behold outside of ourselves. So if you'll turn today to uh, Colossians 1, we're gonna be going through verses 19 to 23. That'll be page 1,086 if you're using the Bible in front of you there. If you got your own Bible, you're on your own. Hopefully you can make your way there. Paul writes, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Father, I thank you. I thank you for these words that you have given us this morning, Lord. This, um, this item to focus on that is so, so much bigger than ourselves and so far above ourselves, Lord, to, um, to pull us away from ourselves and to focus on you, God. Father, I pray that you just... Uh, use these words this morning to speak to everybody in here, myself included, God, that um, we would grow um, just in love and adoration of you and in awe of you and what you have done, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, much of the reason behind Paul writing this letter to the Colossians was to counter a lot of false teaching that was coming into the church at that time. Um, he was an apostle, uh, an apostle, which gave—wow, that was a good one—which um, gave him a lot of authority to speak into these false teachings that were coming in. Um, and a couple of the main points that these false teachers were attacking um, were the person and work of Jesus: who is Jesus, and what did He do, and who are we in light of that? And they were just really attacking these few issues. So Paul writes. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile, that is to to restore the relationship to himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So Paul says Jesus is fully God. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. All of God, God God did not split the body 50-50. It was the fullness of God was in Jesus but Jesus is also a man. And as Derek pointed out last week, he had to be fully man so that he could die because God cannot die. And so Paul is just coming right out, right up front here and saying Jesus is 100% God. He is 100% man. Encountering these false ideas of who Jesus was. And as an engineer, I I don't really like that because you can't have 100% and 100%. There's just there's 100%, but um, it, it's not my job to question that. My job is to stand back and just be in awe of God and how big he is and believe. So verse 20 also tells us that God reconciled all things, whether on earth or in heaven. It tells us that all things were reconciled through the cross, they were reconciled only through the cross, that's it. And Paul really clarified this to clear up some of these false teachings that were coming in saying that, well, yeah, the cross was good, that, that was a good thing, but it wasn't enough. You know, we, we also need to, we need to um, take on some of these Old Testament laws or we need to pull something in from this other religion or philosophy and, and really kind of bringing down the, the value of the cross. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. It's the cross and nothing else. This entire world was reconciled through the cross, and that is it. Um, one of the, the big ideas that was coming in from uh, there were the Gnostics that were, that were bringing this in um, was this idea of Gnostic dualism that that um, everything material was somehow evil, and everything spiritual was good, and the goal of this life was to to kind of get through and and get past um, outside of all this physical stuff and get to this higher spiritual plane. Um, And Paul is just confronting this idea with three, three very important points that he makes in here. First one is God was willing to exist in all his fullness as a human being. God himself did not think it below himself to exist as a human. Second, God chose to work out his plan to reconcile all of creation as fully human and fully God. God had to be fully human. Not only did he consider it not below himself, he he had to do it that way. Um, And so he accomplished his plan by taking on physical form. And third, God reconciled to himself all things, whether on on, on earth or in heaven. Not every spiritual thing, everything, was reconciled at the cross, physical things included. Now that last point is, is to me one of the biggest points in here. You know, we look at the world around us and we don't, really, we don't see it as true right now. We don't see everything as being reconciled. But we can look at it all and know that that reconciliation has been secured already at the cross. That the act of securing that reconciliation is past tense. Now think about that. God redeemed you, yes. But it's even bigger than that. You know, we, we like to think about God died on the cross for me. And that's great. That is amazing news. And it is true. It's just not amazing enough. It's even bigger than that. God reconciled all things in creation. Um, the new heavens and the new earth that are talked about in Revelation, where there's no longer any disease, no longer any crying, mourning, there's no insane world leaders with nuclear weapons. There's no natural disasters, fires that burn 8,400 homes and kill 42 people, hurricanes that just ruin entire cities. All of that is reconciled at the cross, and we're so easily exposed to all of this evil, you know, all the time. Like, that was that hyper connectedness that the article talked about. That. 24/7 just news coming in of all these awful things that are happening but all of that is reconciled at the cross now reconciled it it doesn't mean that we're just we we get through these things and we get to the end of it and we look back and go ah oh, that was awful but yeah it was it was worth it you know it's Yes, it is worth it, but it's even bigger than that. It means we're going to get to the end, and we're going to look back at that, and we're going to understand how God used every single one of those things to bring about greater glory and joy. Evil was so thoroughly defeated at the cross that even evil will be turned to joy. Tim Keller, um, author and pastor, he, he illustrated this when he talked about a dream he had where he lost his whole family in this dream. it was just an awful, awful experience in that dream. And then he woke up to see his family still there and he rejoiced all the more, having once lost them, but now having them back again. The cross, it's the same thing. A Roman torture device, an invention out, out of the depths of evil in man's heart. God just hijacked that. And turned it into the biggest and most joyous and glorious event in the history of mankind. God reconciled a Roman torture device. So, so our idea of the cross, it's bigger. <laughs> I think that's the main thing that this get, this, I want to get across in this. is Whatever your view of what the cross has done, it's even bigger than that yet it seems like you know as we go through this day we the these days we we see something terrible happen you know we you get laid off and you're under this pile of debt and you're trying to provide for your family and you're just thinking to yourself how are you going to reconcile this you know you you get kind of dragged down into these things and then and then the next day you know something even worse happens and it, it you know you just keep getting bombarded with all these things and you might think to yourself yeah You know, maybe you can reconcile yesterday, but but this, like, this is, I I don't know how to get through this. I I don't know how you're going to use this. And yet, this verse is a promise that all things are reconciled through the cross. We know that the payment has already been made as we go through our day to day life. As we go through those valleys, we can look and know that a price has already been paid to reconcile that and we go through with hope. We go through with joy. We go through with peace because of that. I think we often kind of underestimate the power of the cross because we don't really understand the magnitude of the evil that it overcame, that you go back to the garden and Adam and Eve sinned one time. They ate one fruit and all of creation went downhill. You know, that, it gives you an idea of the magnitude of how big sin is, that that one sin brought all of this and yet the cross is even bigger and reconciled all of that. So no matter how dark the view in front of you looks, you can always look forward to the brightness of the cross. So that first point in your handout there, we can have peace amid chaos only because of the cross. In verse 21, Paul writes, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, as we're seeing, he's using this term reconcile a few times through this. So that term reconcile, it it can be rightly understood to mean bringing back into harmony, something that was broken apart being brought back together. Um, And one really important aspect of that reconciliation is reconciliation does not ignore what caused the separation in the first place. Reconciliation looks at the chasm that that was created between us and God and, and asks, how do I fix this? It doesn't look at the chasm and think, well, I'm just going to try to walk across anyways. It asks, how am I going to bridge this chasm? And so God being a just God and wanting to reconcile knew that justice was necessary in order to cause that reconciliation. So verse 21, he's setting up the reason that that chasm occurred, that we have this gap between us and God that needs to be overcome. We were alienated from God and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That phrase "hostile in mind" is kind of the key here. The picture Paul is painting is not that we did kind of a few bad deeds and we should try to try to fix these to to get our way back to God. He says, it, it, "I I think of like the the scales, you know, and on one side it's like the the big acme weight that always falls down on Wiley e. Coyote, you know, on this one side, and then on the other side you're." Like trying to put a feather on there, except really you don't even have a feather. So um, it's just this hopeless case. But then Paul tells us how we were reconciled. Yeah, the list, the list of bad things about us. These, he's listing this, alienated, hostile mind, doing evil deeds. You know, it's so far gone. And yet that the list of how we're reconciled, it's pretty short. We are reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. That is it. That is the only way that we are reconciled. It is not the cross and some effort of yours to help in building this bridge across the chasm. It is found only in Jesus. So your your next point on there is your hope is not found in you. just as I was talking about in the introduction, I I needed to get outside of myself. When I was focusing on me, it just didn't go anywhere. I had to get outside of myself. So your hope is not found in you. But then some others came along to the church at Colossae, and they were saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus, God is part of the way there, but but there's really some, some work to be done still if you wish to be reconciled. You, you need Jesus plus this other stuff that I can offer you. And, and Paul is just given that, that like the Washington Post's uh, fact checker scale. He's given this solid four Pinocchios here. This so is kind of like the fake news of their day coming in. And Paul's, Paul's countering this. Um, he's saying, no, forget all of that. It's Jesus plus nothing. Amen. It's enough. And we see some similar ways in which the cross is minimized today. Um, we don't see too often um, kind of the throwing the Old Testament law on or um, stuff like that, although it comes up, um, but we do see it in a few ways today. There's, there's one view that looks at the cross and calls it divine child abuse. that it, that it wasn't really necessary and at most. it just kind of showed. Jesus was willing to suffer for us and give us kind of an example of how to live. You know, that's really all it is. But that completely misses the point of there was a real price that had to be paid and the cross paid it. Um, William P. Young, author of The Shack and probably most popular Christian author of our time said the following in his book, Lies We Believe About God. Who originated the cross? If God did, then we worship a cosmic abuser. And how would we, religious people, interpret this sacrifice? We would declare that it was God who killed Jesus, slaughtering him as a necessary appeasement for his bloodthirsty need for justice. This is a denial of what the cross really did, that it really did pay a price. Now the point is not the shack. I'm sure many of you have read the shack. the point is not that. The point is, we need to be careful where we get our theology from, whether it be a book or a speaker or, or wherever it comes from. We need to be sure that we're filtering that through Scripture, um, just as the Colossians were. We're going back to Paul and saying, "Hey, we've got these ideas coming in. We just we need some guidance. You know, we we hear these ideas come in, and we need to go back to the to Scripture and say, does this does this line up? And so what does the Bible have to say about this? Um, Isaiah prophesying about the cross says in Isaiah 53 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Isaiah says very clearly, it made an offering for guilt. It paid a price, it atoned for sin. In Isaiah, in the Old Testament. So this view really misses the power that is in the cross. It minimizes the cross when it really, <laughs> it constantly needs to be maximized. We, we constantly need to understand it's even bigger than we understand. And another common way you see the cross minimized today is when somebody will say, well, you just need to be a good person. You know, that, that's really what this life is about. Be a good person, help others out, and you'll get to heaven. It'll be all right. And this view also denies that there is a gap there. This this view tries to just walk across the gap without the bridge. And it's a really easy view to hold. I, I held that before I became a Christian. It doesn't really challenge anybody. it it, it you, you can be friends with everybody and hold that view. Nobody's going to um, go against you. And so and it also gives us some control over it. You know, we, we have a little bit of control in our salvation at that point. You know, we can lie on our taxes a bit here, sleep around a bit there, and then give some money to a good cause and, and feel good about ourselves. And it doesn't work like that. Jesus in John fourteen six, says, I am the way and the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. So again, you have this view that minimizes the cross, that tries to take away some of the power of the cross. And Jesus says, no, it's me, me alone. Then at the end of verse 20, Paul tells us why we were reconciled in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. One of the things I love about that right there is notice who does the presenting. You don't present yourself holy and blameless and above reproach. This is still Jesus. Jesus presents you holy and blameless and above reproach. So even still, It is God at work in you. So, um, blameless and above reproach. I think we have a pretty good understanding of what that is, you know? um, We are without sin, we are made clean. Um, But what what does that term holy mean? The term holy is is that you are set apart, you are sacred, you are a saint. so as a Christian, you have been set apart from the world for God to do God's work. Now, that doesn't mean you've been separated from the world and so you can just kind of stand back from the world. That means that you've been set apart for, you have been set apart for God's work in the world. So your next point on your handout or on your phone, whatever you're using there, is holiness does not mean you avoid the darkness. It means, you, it means you go into the darkness because you've been made light. It means that even in a sinful, sinful world, you can break into it and not sin. You can break into it and stand in bright contrast to the evil that is in the world. So the question with this is, have you seen Jesus working in your life to bring this about, to, to make you more holy, more blameless, more above reproach? You know, this isn't going to be finalized until we get to heaven, but there is this sanctification, this, this process through our life where Jesus makes us more and more and more like him. And as you watch that in your life, as you grow, as you learn, that's Jesus working in you. That's an amazing thing, and it's only because of the cross. The last verse, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. not shifting from the gospel that you heard. This is the gospel that Paul had been preaching to all the known world at that time. He gives a great, great summary of it in 1 Corinthians 153 to four, he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the gospel. That is it. Christ died, was buried, and was raised. The gospel is not that Christ died and now you have a chance at doing some work to earn your way to heaven. The gospel is Christ did it all at the cross. That last point on your handout, our reconciliation is Jesus plus nothing. So if you haven't seen Jesus' work in your life, that that sanctification, that growth, the learning, go back to the root of it, the simple gospel. (laughs) It's it's not this huge, complicated thing, it's it's simple. Jesus died for you. Jesus reconciled you at the cross. Go back to that heart, that, that is where the reconciliation is found. And he says, do not waver do not shift. Do not lose focus on this. Our reconciliation is not found in our ability to follow rules. Is not found in our comfort or wealth. Is not found in trying to live a moral life. It is found only in Jesus. So my question for you at the end of this, and the question that I had for myself as I was going through this, was where, where do you find your hope? Where do you find your comfort? When you go through those valleys, those day-to-day worries where the, the world just brings you down and you see this darkness around you, where do you go? Do you go to yourself? Or do you focus on the cross? For me, I, it wasn't even that I was searching for it somewhere else. It was that I just plain wasn't finding the hope. because I, I needed Jesus. I needed to just refocus on the cross. That was the answer. <laughs> Too simple. I agree. It took uh <laughs> it took me taking a I, so Kelsey thinks I'm kind of crazy. I like taking cold showers. Uh I <laughs> I don't know, it helps me clear my mind, but it, but it took that, that moment of getting in the, a cold shower and just kind of getting that shock and going, I'm writing an entire message about this and I feel like I don't even get this, you know? And it just, that instant of, mm-hmm. I need to focus back on the cross, that's the answer. All, this, all these worries about my shortcomings and, and my inabilities, the cross is bigger than that. My desire for for selfish, worldly comfort when I'm going through this, the cross is bigger than that. It's bigger than your doubts. It's bigger than your anxieties. God just looked at me and he said, is my cross not big enough for you? And it's such a silly question because the answer, like you said, is so simple. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Don't look for your fulfillment here. Look to what God has done and stand back in awe of that. Look to something bigger than this world has to offer. Look to the cross. Father, I thank you that, um, I thank you that the cross is so much bigger than we've ever even come to understand. God, I pray that every day as we read your word, as we go to you in prayer, I pray that we'd see that it's even bigger yet, that it's not just about me, it's about you reconciled everything. God, and I thank you for that. Lord, we can have hope in this world only because of the cross. Father, we thank you, and we just stand in awe of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.